0: Good morning, it's Thursday, November the 17th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, my last show before I go on vacation and hand things over to Alex Smythe, Shane DeMerchant. From Movember, Canada, will tell you about their 16th annual campaign to raise awareness on men's health and wellness. In a preview of Voices of the Walrus, Don Dickinson explains how COVID-19 has changed the way we think about indoor air quality. Oh my goodness, has it ever, as the HEPA filters roll on. And... If you want to avoid breaking the bank this holiday season and avoiding that January credit card hangover, Aaron Broverman has a few tips on the best way to sh- My advice? Have less friends. Cut people out of your life. Live in a silo. But we just know that's not effective. Let's get to our top story. Of the day. The investigation continues into the missiles that hit Poland earlier this week. The NATO Defense Contact Group met yesterday. Canadian Defense Minister Anita Anand describes $34 million worth of new equipment that Canada has pledged to Ukraine.
1: That aid includes more
2: cameras for drones, more winter clothing, hats, boots, gloves, etc., as well as more
1: satellite communications technology we will continue to be with ukraine in the short and the
0: long term the investigation continues into those missile strikes but there's no evidence that the projectiles and missiles came from russia let's get back to a domestic story and we talked a little bit about inflation yesterday sitting at 6.9 percent in terms of its year over year annualized inflation and sitting steady month over month well, Canadian grocery stores revealed their quarterly profits yesterday. Don Kelly has those numbers.
2: The two companies say this is a sign that food prices will remain high into next year. Both Metro and Loblaw posted higher quarterly sales and profits today. Metro earned $219.4 million, up 9.4% from a year ago. Loblaw's third quarter profits soared about 30% to $566 million. Canadian grocers are being criticized for recording strong profits as record-high food inflation forces many people to change their grocery shopping lists or turn to food banks. Don Kelly, the Canadian Press.
0: Let's head over to what the Prime Minister is up to. Justin Trudeau continues his tour of Southeast Asia with a two-day stop in Thailand. The Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Forum has world leaders meeting in Bangkok to discuss breaking down barriers to trade. Coming back to Canada, the former head of the Canadian Border Services Agency appeared before the Emergencies Act inquiry yesterday. John Azowski explained that border agents had limited authority to stop international protesters from crossing the border until the Emergencies Act was invoked.
3: As part of the enhanced vigilance exam process that we invoked before the Emergencies Act, we turned away um, people that intended to come and participate in a protest, or we suspected were going to participate in a protest, but it was only because they weren't vaccinated or didn't meet up in some other program legislation requirement.
0: The Emergencies Act specifically banned foreign nationals from joining the protests. The Prime Minister's National Security Advisor will appear today. Jody Thomas will give insight on what information the Cabinet had before invoking the act. Let's head back to international conferences. Sorry, I'm taking you all over the place. We're in Canada. We're in Poland. We're now going to Egypt, where a block of countries are opposing a major plank of climate negotiations at the UN conference. Charles de Ledesma explains.
4: Brazil, South Africa, India and China have voiced their opposition to plans for climate-related tariffs, such as those currently being discussed by the European Union. The EU is proposing a carbon border adjustment mechanism that would place tariffs on goods from countries whose efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions are considered insufficient. The proposals intended to prevent European manufacturers from being at a disadvantage compared to foreign rivals who don't face similar climate rules as those in the EU. I'm Charles de
0: And let's follow up on a story that I shared with you earlier this week. I told you on Wednesday we'd find out if the BC Liberal Party was going to change their name. Well, the BC Liberal Party members have voted in favour to change their name to BC United. Leader Kevin Falcon says the decision on when to implement the change is something he will have to consider carefully. And we're going to have to choose the timing that makes the most sense for us. So, for example, just to give you a real-life example, um, you know, if David Eby calls a spring election, I'm not going to be stupid and change the name in February and be facing a May or June election. That that wouldn't make any sense. Because I don't control the electoral timeline, I have to be very careful about this. 80% of party members voted to approve the name change. Let's get to our daily polls at Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter at Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook on Wednesday. We asked you, as we talked so much about employment this week, what's your favorite part about your job? 23.1% of you said the people, 30.8% of you said the paycheck. Give me that money. 38.5% of you said the work and 7.7% of you said other and you definitely took it to heart that I said I will find you if you vote other and don't write in. So James writes in, all of them. Christina comments, I work at a healthcare center the patients and long term care residents make the job worth doing. We also had Brett comment, I work as a public address announcer for a junior hockey club in Ontario. The people, the experience, the atmosphere, the challenges of the job, it's a wild ride. Thank you all for participating in this daily poll yesterday. We really appreciate it. Let's see if we can have you jump in on today's daily poll. Before I ask the question, let's set this up with a news story. The Scrabble Dictionary is adding hundreds of words. Ed Donahue has the list. It's almost a certainty a Scrabble player will ask during a game, is that a word? If it's dox, zadonk, or
5: fauxhawk, the answer is yes. About 500 new words are joining the Scrabble player's dictionary. There are shortened words like convo and guac. Trademarks like dumpster. Compound words are in the book with page view, baby moon, and subtweet. There are also unwords: unfollow, unsub, and unmute. They may sound familiar, but they were never Scrabble official. Also new to the dictionary, whelp, and at least one old-fashioned word that simply fell under the radar for years.
0: Yeehaw! I'm Ed Donahue. Yeehaw! Add that one to the Scrabble book for sure, the old dictionary. It got me thinking as I heard this news story this morning about some old Scrabble games around the Brown family household or some boggle games that once led to a family member being stabbed by a pencil. Do you get competitive? When you play games, board games, video games, card games, whatever kind of game you're thinking about, a sporting event, do you get competitive? Yes, no, or sometimes. I've told you this before. I'm someone who likes to win, but I have absolutely no problem losing because it's just more fun that way. That said, when I think I'm authentically good at something, the number of four-letter words that can come out of my mouth when I don't win It can be a little much, especially in the video game world, when I know I'm by myself and there's no one there to judge me. Some of y'all might remember in November of 2021, I came in here with a wrap on my wrist because I'd hit my knee too hard from losing an Xbox game. So I guess I do get a little competitive, but my answer is generally no, certainly around other people. By myself, it can be a little bit of a different
3: situation. Alex Smythe, what about you? Yeah, Dave, I'm very similar. I I do enjoy winning more than anything. I'm not as good of a loser maybe as you are. You you said you don't mind losing, but uh, I, I'm more in, in line with the, you know, maybe cursing uh, specific words coming out. Not so much, again, as if I'm playing a game with other people, but if I'm playing online, oh boy, those headsets are, are getting worn out with all the, the foul language I'll be sharing. But um, in terms of like tabletop games, card games, board games, things like that. I like to be competitive. I like to kind of have the strategy. But my problem is typically when I'm playing those games, I'm playing with other people who are very good, Mm. very uh, competent in all sorts of different games and very smart. So I I typically rely on the fact that I am not going to be the smartest person at this table. I am going to get outmaneuvered in one way, shape, or form. So... I try to go and have fun. I, that's how I rationalize when I lose uh, to make it easier, I think. But uh, when I when I win, it it's just a, a bit extra sweet.
0: I've sometimes given you guys a peek into my life in 2009 when, let's just say, I was a little bit more of a degenerate. And from time to time, money was quite tight. And by quite tight, I mean completely tight. And I used to play in a Sunday night poker game. And there was one particular Sunday where I knew I needed to win some money that night if I was going to buy groceries that week. And I definitely yelled at someone for not taking the game seriously. So maybe that was also me being competitive. But that was survival mode. That was full-blown survival mode. Eliza Rocco, we've talked to you about this before in regards to playing organized sports. You said sometimes you can get a little bit competitive. Maybe I'm even underselling that a bit. But what about generally speaking? We're playing Monopoly together. We're playing Scrabble. Are you going to throw a pencil at someone?
6: Maybe. (laughs) I come from a, a very competitive family. I have three other siblings, two of which are older than me. Um, and uh, we uh, all played games together all the time. We didn't have a TV, so we are either outside playing sports inside or inside playing card games and board games. And uh, it was it got very heated, and I have taken that into my adult life. And like I said with sports, I am not good at sports. I'm really not. There's a lot of board games I'm also really not good at, but I am still <laughs> so competitive, like insanely competitive. But because I am not good at these things, I, I understand I'm going to lose most of the time. However, Monopoly, I cannot remember the last time i lost monopoly oh
0: game. oh okay you're st- your monopoly
6: stud <laughs> i don't know why maybe it's because usually people don't want to play monopoly with me so they don't try that hard <laughs> i don't know but i i am queen of monopoly i have to
0: say i think i've won one game of monopoly my entire life and i still <laughs> remember it i still remember how good it felt okay so let's let's use that as, as the concluding question or going back the other way is there one game in particular that you think will bring it out of you that will actually get get those juices going more so than another. I was playing this game called Code Words Assassins recently that it's a very intellectual game. It's a words-based game. And I really, really wanted to win because I felt like it was a flexing of my intelligence rather than just rolling dice and getting lucky. So I would say that game gets me a little fired up. What about you, Eliza?
6: Well, I'm sure everyone knows the game Wordle. Oh, yeah. Um, my boyfriend's family and I have, like, a group chat where we send each other's Wordle scores. <laughs> I That's probably the game I'm the worst at, hands down. Like, so bad at. But I try. I try every morning. I try so hard. Everyone always beats me, but that's that's the <laughs> okay, game. <laughs> that's, the
0: one, that's the one that brings out the rage. Mm-hmm, well, I'm mm-hmm. thankful that you guys do it in your group chat and not post it on social media. Yeah, no. Like, I could not care less how people do <laughs> on social media. Like, no one cares how I do it my PGA 2K. T- t- one uh, golf score at the end of the game like no one wants to see me posting my sweet 10 under par so i don't see why someone should yeah. show off their their it, wordle score it
6: would be too shameful for me to post okay. my wordle score i'll say it that <laughs> way <fair>. that's fair
0: <laughs> alex what about you what's the game that actually will get the blood boiling
3: yeah so there's a couple as i mentioned with video games halo anytime there's a first per- a person shooter and it's online and you're going against other people that one always gets me frustrated you know me and my my buddies when we're playing we're doing all the callouts, we're doing everything all all strategy specific so that's uh, certainly one the other one it's a deck building tabletop game called smash up where you basically take two different factions you combine them together and you're you're trying to beat everyone else at the table it is strategy it's a bit of luck with the cards that you draw and how you play some it's a lot of fun but It got to the point that me and my friends, when we would play, we had to put together a whole list of rules of how certain uh, cards play in a certain order because we were starting to get into arguments at two o'clock in the morning after three hours of playing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this action should precede this action, and then this action. But I played this card, so this rule shouldn't apply because it's already gone by the point this happens. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It it, it, it gets very, very intense because we all wanted to win just as much.
0: For parks and recreation fans, the cones of Dunshire. At Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, do you get competitive when you play games? Let's see if it's a competitive day for weather across the
3: country. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting in St. John's, Newfoundland, we have rain in the morning. Then it's a mix of sun and clouds with up to 20 millimeters of rain expected. So a heavy downpour there. And wind gusts up to 80 kilometers per hour. And the high is 11. Over to Halifax, Nova Scotia, we got cloudy with becoming a mix of sun and clouds later. And wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. And the high is 5. In Montreal, Quebec. There's light snow in the morning, and then it'll be cloudy in the afternoon with a high of zero. In Ottawa, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow and a high of negative one. Here in Toronto, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow as well, but the high is two. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, there's snow flurries with possible snow squalls, and a weather advisory is in effect due to the snowfall and wind with a high of negative two. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's light blowing snow today with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour and the high is negative five. In Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's a mix of sun and clouds clearing out by noon and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is negative 12. Calgary, Alberta, it's sunny with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and negative eight is the high. Up in my old stomping ground of Edmonton, Alberta, it's sunny, with a high of negative seven. Yellowknife Northwest Territories, it's a mix of sun and clouds, with negative nine as the high. Vancouver, BC, it's a great day, it's sunny with a high of nine. And finally, in Victoria, BC, it's sunny with a high of eight. That's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada.
0: Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up after the break, we talk about the 16th annual November Canada campaign we'll talk about why this campaign is about more than just growing some funky facial hair this is now with Dave Brown on AMI Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. You may have noticed some folks sporting some funky facial hair in the month of November. That's because it's the 16th annual Movember campaign, a campaign of raising awareness for all sorts of issues impacting men's health across the country. Let's talk to Movember's Senior Manager of Community Engagement, in Canada, it's Shane DeMerchant. Hey, Shane, thank you for making time to be with us today. We're grateful.
5: Dave, thank you so much, Awesome to be here. I'll I'll um, give everyone the caveat. Mine not might not be in the fuzzy category yet. Mine's uh, mine takes a while to get here, but uh, I'm getting close.
0: <laughs> uh, what what style are you going for here? Just a little bit of a top, a little little top mustache? Are you doing a Hulk Hogan handlebars? What's the plan?
5: You know, what's so funny. I should have kept it because what I normally do is um, for the first half of the month, I will grow the handlebars because it's slow to grow above the lip. Um, And then once I get to the halfway point, normally I give up the handlebars and just to up. And I, Dave, I did that this morning when I got out of the shower. I shaved up the handlebars. bar.
0: <laughs> you, fig- you figured you were going. On, <laughs> you figured you were going on national TV, so you wanted to clean things up a teensy tiny bit. I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, get, I get that. Hey, Shane, I remember when Movember first got started. So much of the focus was around prostate health, but the 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 movement has expanded. So, what are some of the most pressing issues that Movember is hoping to raise awareness about these days?
5: Exactly, Dave. You, you said it off the top. This is the 16th annual Movember campaign in Canada. Um, and we grow mustaches and raise awareness uh, and raise funds in support of prostate cancer, but also testicular cancer and men's mental health and suicide prevention. So I'll give you some really quick top-line stats on each. In, in Canada, one in eight men will be diagnosed uh, in, with for, with prostate cancer during their lifetime. Testicular cancer is the most commonly diagnosed form of cancer for younger guys, so around the ages of uh, 15 to 35. Uh, and then when it comes to, to mental health, we're still losing a lot of guys way too early to to um, mental health issues and suicide so in Canada three out of four people who die by suicide side are men uh, it's the second leading cause of cause of death for all men up to the age of 45 in Canada so so still a, a, a lot of hard work that we need to do and still facing a men's health crisis across those those areas uh but a lot of really incredible work that is done over the course of this month and year-round um mm-hmm. and that's generated by the by the conversations and the that are started and the mustaches that are grown
0: this month. Yeah, you really spelled out the need there, Shane, in regards to the numbers and the way this is impacting so many people in their lives. This may be a little bit outside of that scope, but I'm curious about early detection, what the the landscape looks like in regards to early, early detection, because so many of these health issues can be caught by early detection, but we know it can also be really difficult to get access to the medical facilities for those early detections.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think access is difficult. I think COVID has made um, made some of those challenges even greater in the sense that people were maybe avoiding some of those screenings or avoiding visits with their um, family doctors because they were thinking they were maybe taking some of the burden off of the healthcare system and, and doing the right thing. But early detection is so important especially when it comes to boys and men and, and guys, uh, as a group, uh, a bit of a generalization, but we aren't always the best at, um, at being leaders and some of those help seeking behaviors and being proactive with our own health. Uh, but like you said, early detection is so important, especially, um, with both prostate cancer and testicular cancer. Um, when you're able to catch and identify prostate cancer early, uh, you're, you're, um, likelihood of a positive health outcome and treatment and, and odds of survival beyond a five-year period skyrocket uh, compared to when it's caught late which basically means that it's metastasized and moved beyond the moved beyond uh, the prostate uh, similar with with testicular cancer the earlier that that can be caught and the earlier you can start to go through your treatments then you keep that cancer from spreading mm. other parts of your body um, and, and we don't n- normally use this terminology when it comes to mental health, um, the, the idea of early detection, but I think we're all on our own mental health journeys too often when we think of mental health right away, we think of mental illness or depression or anxiety, as opposed to it being something that affects all of us. So the more that we can do to make sure that we're being, um, we're keeping ourselves mentally well and 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 healthy and at our best, uh, and that goes both ways, keeping the people in our lives um, supported mm-hmm. and, and letting them know that we're there for them that goes a long way again we don't necessarily use the term terminology early detection for that but being proactive mm. and not what
0: it takes for your mental health as early as possible or as consistently as possible is is really important. Shane, it's almost like you read my mind because that was the word I was going to use in regards to proactivity because in the same way that sometimes men will wait till there's a crisis uh, in terms of of some of those cancers or other health risks, it can be the same thing with mental health, that we might wait too long to reach out for help or not even seek help in the first place. And I know mental health was a component that was added in the last couple of years to the Movember campaign. Why was that something that, that you and your colleagues wanted to add to the mix of concerns that you were trying to raise during this month?
5: Yeah, that's a great question, Dave. I, I think that um, it's, it's important to even ask why would we consider gender when we're talking about mental health and, and really it comes down to some of those stats that I, that I said already. Uh, that stat that four, three out of four people who die by suicide uh, is a Canadian stat and a global stat. So it's it's an area where we're losing men too early, and and I think we we identify that there is a need to take a particular lens and break down masculinity and what it is about masculinity that directly impacts mental health, and and there are a lot of different reasons, and and I'll uh, veer into general, generalizations a bit again, um, but. At its core, there's a lot of stigma and there's a lot of perception that's keeping guys from talking about their mental health, um, and reaching out and being vulnerable and and seeking help when they need it. Um, there there are these ideas about what it means to be a man, um, that are keeping guys from doing that when they, when they need it. So the idea that, um, reaching out and asking for help or sharing with someone how you're doing, um being perceived as weakness is something that we're working really hard to break down and flip the script on and say at a moment when a guy or a man is reaching out for help and saying I'm struggling here that's a sign of courage and that's a sign of strength Uh, and that's something we all have a role to play in acknowledging and recognizing um so that's that's something that applies to to every single one of us in Mm -hmm. in our lives all all of guys we care about and and that's not true just for guys It's, it's true of everyone but um I think in moments where we see that, there's a lot of work to be done to break down some of that stigma.
0: Shane, we're being very serious and earnest. Let's move over to the fun side, because part of this about Movember is that it actually is fun. It's a fun way to raise this awareness. And we know that for some folks, they may be follically challenged or not able to grow a stash. So there are ways folks can participate this month without necessarily putting on the, the the funky stash. How can they do so?
5: Yeah, absolutely. We always say Dave, we're all about having fun and, and doing good and that's the, that's kind of the idea behind the mustache. It is a little bit silly and is a little is a little bit fun and it helps it gets, gets the conversation started. But like you said, Dave, not uh, mustache isn't the only way to get involved. There are different ways that people register to participate in November across the country. So you can register to move during the course of the month um, where we ask people to either walk or run for 60 kilometers um again representative of the of the 60 men we lose to suicide every hour globally so one every minute Uh, You can also register to host an event, so lots of really cool events that are back this year that haven't been able to happen in the last couple of years, so I've been to a bunch of them already, Um, really cool Battle of the Bands event that some firefighters put on, hot sauce competitions, polar dips, so anything with a little bit of fun behind it where you can generate some awareness and and have lots of great conversations along the way is is something we're really supportive of. And then uh, lastly, uh, a couple of years ago, we added the opportunity for people to register and and do it we call mow your own way so it's essentially challenging yourself to something unique that's out of the box that um, you're doing in the name of men's health and that could really be anything maybe it's that um, you play the guitar or the piano and you're going to um, play a song for someone every time they donate or or maybe you want to do something silly like learn to knit and you're going to knit a mustache. This uh, I'm, I'm actually not pulling those out of a hat because there, there are some people who have done those. So so yeah, we don't want to put up any barriers to people participating and supporting the guys in their life. Um, there's a way for everyone to get involved for sure.
0: Shane, not that I'm trying to flex my own Movember bona fides because you and your colleagues are doing the hard work, but I want to take you back to the fall of 2010 when I was uh, the program director at a radio station in Ottawa and Movember was still really in its our early follicle stages, really kind of growing and our station became obsessed with Movember and we were growing some real weird stashes and we decided to run a campaign through the station to get the Prime Minister of Canada, Stephen Harper at the time to grow a mustache. We sent out press releases, we reached out to his office, we tried to get him to do it. Eventually, in the middle of the month, we ended up doing a protest on Parliament Hill, and I'll actually uh, we'll actually put up a picture here of uh, my colleagues and I standing there on Parliament Hill in front of the uh, in front of the, the building of Parliament. I'm in the uh, the blue blazer or the blue uh, the the blue windbreaker on the left hand side of the screen, and we have the big Movember sign in front of us, and a couple images of uh, Stephen Harper with a photoshopped photoshopped mustache holding a cat. So again, it wasn't meant to be political; it was all in good fun, and we definitely. definitely... Definitely got some uh, some pretty funny looks on Parliament that day, but it was all about raising awareness and was all about having some fun that day and showing off some wild stashes.
5: Uh, I love that. I'm going to get someone from your team to send me that picture afterwards, Dave, because that's incredible. Uh, Yeah, you you say that we do the hard work, but honestly, um, the success of Movember is based on. Moments like that of our community being passionate and and like like we said already, doing things that are fun and doing things that that are maybe uh, grabbing attention in a way that that uh, just their mustache isn't. So yeah, kudos to you guys for 12 years ago. Y- you have me beat by a year actually. My first November was was 2011. So love to hear love to hear some <laughs> of that stuff from the from the older November
0: days. Oh well, maybe I did flex my bona fides a little bit there. I didn't mean to. Uh, Shane, where should people go to learn more? There's still a couple days left in the month, and you guys are doing incredible work year-round where should they go to learn more
5: Uh, everyone can head over to our website it's simple it's just movember.com uh you can read all about every program we've ever funded there so in canada we funded around 300 innovative men's health programs you can read about those if you have a friend in your life who's growing a mustache or is moving to support movember uh they will have a page on our website so you can head over there and give us some kudos and make it make a donation um and yeah take a look around look at what we're recommending for all guys to do when it comes to their own um, health and whether you're a guy or not, or you have a guy that you care about, um, do a bit of reading and see how you can better encourage them to uh, be proactive with their health.
0: Shane, thank you for taking the time for us today and good luck with the rest of the month and all the best to you and your colleagues over there. Thanks so much, Dave. Honoured to be here. That's Shane DeMerchant, the Senior Manager of Community Engagement for Movember Canada. Putting that picture up on screen uh, fills me with some lovely warm memories, Uh, although it was a cold day in Ottawa in the middle of November. All of those guys, everybody, all the guys and girls in that picture, everybody in that picture I'm still in touch with to this day from working at CKDJ 1079. Some of the happiest days of my life right there. A little bit of wonderlust and nostalgia for Dave today. Coming up after the break... Don Dickinson will preview Voices of the Walrus with an article about how COVID-19 has changed the way we think about indoor air quality. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Emily Javesky with your Morning Business minutes.
7: Canada's main stock index closed down Wednesday, dragged by losses in energy and metals, while U.S. markets were also down. Toronto's S&P TSX index was down 37 points to 19,958. In New York, the Dow Jones fell 39 points to 33,554. Asian shares mostly declined amid concerns about the impact of China's zero-COVID strategy, mixed with hopes for economic activity and tourism returning to normal. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei dropped nearly 98 points to 27,931. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index dropped 211 points to 18,046. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 75.05 cents U.S., compared with 75.13 cents yesterday. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Emily Jovasky.
0: Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Don Dickinson is here with a preview of Voices of the Walrus. Don is the producer of that show, which airs weekends at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Hey, good morning, Don. How are you?
1: Hi, Dave. I'm pretty good. I love your comment about save more money at Christmas, have less friends. I just think that's excellent. You know, just get rid of those people. It's
0: very easy for me to do, Don, because I'm a very abrasive person. I'm just shedding people <laughs> left, right and center. It's the way I operate. <laughs> and We'll have that uh, We'll have that segment coming up after Don with Aaron Broverman. He's going to have some tips on uh, how to do some holiday shopping on a budget to avoid that January credit card hangover. Uh, John, Don, let's talk about a couple of really interesting articles you guys have in the Walrus this week, beginning with COVID nineteen and indoor air quality because the pandemic has changed the way we think about indoor air quality. Don, there was a lot in this article. What jumped out to you? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, the thing that really surprised me because we're looking at it three years in, right? Is how much uh, we ignored uh, indoor health uh, indoor indoor air quality. Um, You know, many of the infectious disease experts and public health institutions were actually reluctant to acknowledge that the air in our buildings you know places where we're spending ba- you know basically ninety percent of our time maybe in actual fact making us sick. all the emphasis was on the personal at that time, Dave you know mm-hmm. the 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 six feet of separation and the individual masking and the individual like hand washing and stuff like that. but v- very little at that time, of course, it's changed, right uh, was reflecting the the um the problem with the uh, air quality.
0: Don, here's where I need your assistance in understanding some of the civil engineering in the article. How does air typically circulate in a large building?
1: Yeah, this was surprising. You know, it's it's very basic, uh, Dave, very simple stuff. In almost all older buildings, corridors are an integral part of the ventilation system. Slightly pressurized air is pumped into hallways lined with apartment doors, of course, and those doors have a gap of a centimeter or so at the bottom of each. Ideally, this is the way it's supposed to work, Dave, the air flows under the doors and into the apartments. Then fans in bathrooms and above stoves will pump it out. But in certain conditions, the air pressure in the halls falls below the levels in the apartments, meaning air from individual units flows back into the corridors and then, of course, potentially into other uh, uh, living spaces. And, of course, anybody that's, uh, you know, uh, smelled the curry waffing in from the next-door neighbour uh, <laughs> realizes that this is the case and that airflow is not necessarily always going in the right direction. Then you add to that the the very basic thing like sealed windows, uh, which many of high rises have, and you have a distinct problem.
0: My neighbor across the hallway is Mediterranean and she can cook whatever she wants. And I will let all of it waft into my house because it is the best, the best. Uh, Don, I don't mean I don't mean to uh, to wander too far off the pathway here. So COVID-19 has changed the way we're looking at indoor air quality. So what's next?
1: Well, basically, um, you know, without
0: question, uh, we've learned a lot over the three years. Oh, boy, have we learned a lot. Oh, yeah. Hep- uh, HEPA, fil- <laughs> HEPA filters everywhere, Don. Just HEPA <laughs> filters wherever you can put them.
1: Yeah, I have mine. Um, and we've learned about the technical, the economic, and the social perspectives of this particular uh, situation. And we've come into a new era, basically, what they're saying of public health regulations along the lines of those sparked by air and water quality crises, crises in previous centuries, right? Um, so now, uh, for uh, for instance, in future in all multi-unit residential buildings, as well as factories, offices, uh, retailers, theaters, gyms. We should, and then of course, this is all being put in place, right? have to post an indoor air quality certificate and entrances modeled on the uh, green, yellow, red air quality certificates that um, mm. that they do presently for hygiene, right? And so they're trying to get to this point. They're obviously working on it. Um, a rating assigned by building inspectors on a regular basis would be a good thing uh, to indicate whether the building's ventilation system is providing continually refreshed air uh, drawn from outside and passed through a high-grade HEPA filter, And of course, uh, you know, as we learned with schools, um, you know, schools were in dire, dire shape. Um, and, and they brought in a, a, a great many, a great many of these HEPA filters and whatnot to, to improve the air quality within the school system.
0: Don, it's a really interesting story. We hope that folks tune in to get the uh, full picture because we're just scratching the surface here. There's a lot in this article. It's an incredible one. So we want folks to tune in this weekend, 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Don, this next story is one that really swims. It's about (laughs) why future parents are turning to social media platforms like Facebook Marketplace for for, for sperm donation. Don, why is this happening?
1: this, this blew me away. The statistics on this, of course, it's like anything. If you, if you, if you're not using the services, you don't really know, you know, it's just one of those things. And of course, uh, we're not using those services, but anyhow, Canada has just one operating sperm bank that recruits Canadian men, the Toronto Institute for Reproductive Medicine known as ReproMed, uh, and the rest, uh, uh, most of their samples shipped in from the United States, where Canada has less oversight on screening. I was absolutely blown away by that. I mean, the fact that we only have the one, that's, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. something.
0: Uh, so what's what's been changing from previous years? Like, what's, what's bringing on this maybe change to the social environment where people are saying, let's go crowdsource some sperm? <laughs>
1: uh, well, about 20 years ago, those looking to start a family through alternative means had more choice. Canada had about 20 banks that collected sperm and about 100 that distributed it. But in 2000, Health Canada tightened uh, donor health screening requirements, making them a the most uh, rigorous in the world. Uh, This was done after a woman contracted HIV from a donor, and another one was infected with chlamydia. From then on, semen had to be quarantined for 180 days and retested before use, and donors had to be tested twice day. six
0: months apart. So things got very stringent, Dave. I think it's included in the answer you just gave me. But then why did sperm donations plummet? You mentioned that in the U.S., for example, that's where some of the sperm is being sourced from. They'll pay people for sperm donation in
6: the U.S.
1: Yeah. And of course, Dave, we all know it all comes down to the almighty dollar. Of course. Uh, Canadian sperm banks, uh, Canadian sperm donors who once earned 50 to $100 dollars per donation uh, now receive no payment whatsoever at all. They must endure num- numerous interviews, comprehensive medical exams and multiple tests of blood and semen uh, before they can donate they must also complete detailed questionnaires on their family medical history going back three generations. Oh, my gosh. They can, I know. They can be reimbursed only for expenses associated with the actual donation, such as travel to the clinic or medications needed for the process. For the magazine. All of this. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry, Don. I'm, I'm, to be honest, Alex, oh. Alex Smythe is sitting here in studio with me, and I'm just I'm turning my mic off and giggling with every answer because turns out, although I'm almost forty, I'm very immature.
1: Well, no, that's perfectly all right, Dave. That's perfectly all right. So basically, when you add all these restrictions up and the amount of work that goes into it, you have to be hugely philanthropic and hugely kind mm. to even you know take into consideration that you're going to do all this to be able to
0: donate. You know. So, whereas it's much easier to move to the uh, white market or the black market of white market of Facebook Marketplace, and uh, but then you're kind of rolling the dice in its own particular way. So I was looking into this, Don. I would be disqualified because albinism is genetic, and we would be passed on uh, through my through my gametes. I would be disqualified from donating sperm in Canada. Oh, you're out of the picture, Dave. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's got to go. Figure out other organic means, Uh, Don. Thank you for this. I'm sorry that I'm so immature. (laughs) 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 <laughs> no, you're
8: <really> all
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> that's don dickinson producer of voices of the walrus which you can find weekends at 9 a.m eastern time on ami audio coming up next if you want to avoid breaking the bank this holiday season aaron broverman has some tips on the best ways to shop on a budget but first a little bit of car news the toyota prius is getting a makeover here's andy field with tech trends
9: Chad Kirchner of EV Pulse says early versions of the Toyota Prius offered hybrid technology to the masses and environmental
0: street cred, too. This was the green car, not only for saving gas and stuff like that, but, like, you wanted to be seen in it.
9: And last night at the L.A. Auto Show, Toyota pulled the wraps off an all-new version.
3: The Prius, which comes in either all-wheel drive or front-wheel drive, and then there is the plug-in hybrid, the Prius Prime.
9: Toyota says the plug-in model has 50% more electric range than the current car.
3: They're probably going to say 45, 50 miles, I think is probably where they're, where they're trying to think. But the
9: plug-in is heavier than the standard hybrid.
3: So if you're somebody that does a lot of highway driving, the regular Prius will be more efficient. If you have the ability to consistently plug it in um, and do you know, around-the-town stuff, then the plug-in hybrid will be the more efficient.
9: With Tech Trends, I'm Andy Field, ABC News.
0: Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. There have been a few different reports about the state of personal finances across Canada. Stats Canada released the yearly inflation data yesterday. Even though the number is stable month over month, consumer prices have increased 6.9% year over year. As we talked about last week on the show, Equifax found the average credit card balance held by Canadians was at a record high of $2,121 at the end of September. You are also well aware this time of year can get real pricey. Gifts are one thing. Then you have the dinners, the cards, the ugly Christmas sweaters, which suspiciously get marked up this time of year. It all adds up. Is it possible to avoid that January credit card bill sticker shock? Let's find out with Aaron Broverman. Aaron is the lead editor at Forbes Advisor Canada. Hey, good morning, Aaron. Aaron. Good morning, Dave. Happy to talk about Christmas shopping with you. (laughs) It's top of mind for a lot of folks. Aaron, even before we get into the shopping side, I just want to start with your reaction to some of those numbers that I shared, especially the Equifax numbers. What came to mind when you came across those? To be honest, it wasn't really that
9: surprising. Uh, Debt kind of stabilized and went down during the pandemic, but that was mostly because people were shut in and uh, didn't have a lot of opportunity to spend as much money. But now uh, debt is at the same levels and higher than it was in 2019 prior to the pandemic. So it wasn't really that surprising. And as things get more expensive, thanks to inflation, people are relying more and more on
0: uh, their credit cards to sort of float them uh, through these tough times. Mm -hmm. Aaron, now we can focus on sort of that November, December, January situation. What would you say is the biggest financial trap when it comes to holiday-related spending? I'd actually argue the sneaky one is dinners. The restaurants, the bottles of wine, maybe the uh, catching up with friends, not for like a holiday dinner, but you're in town between December 25th and January 1st. So, oh, let's go out for a dinner on a Wednesday night. And next thing you know, you've got, you know, six or seven dinners on your credit card.
9: You're you're definitely right there, Dave. There's also like the expenses that, you know, people just don't factor in like the postage and the envelopes and all that sort of thing, the packaging, all that sort of thing. Also, people make an event out of uh, Christmas shopping. So if you go with a group, you tend to spend more money because it's a little bit competitive. You know, you want to, you want to kind of keep up appearances among your group of friends. That's another trap, but probably the biggest trap is people don't go in with a plan or a strategy for Christmas shopping to keep their costs down and they just sort of spend whatever they want, a little for you, a little for me, and, uh, you know, a lot of self-spending happens uh, mm. as, as
0: well. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, that, that, that sweater looks nice. I'll get that sweater for me. I'll buy myself my own gift. Aaron, exactly. you might as well give me the Hotels.com Captain Obvious outfit for asking this question, but it's worth posing. How does budgeting act as a strategy, an effective strategy this time of year?
9: Budgeting is good. There's usually two strategies. You can get um, big gifts for a small group of people or you can get smaller gifts for a larger group of people. Those are usually the two most common strategies to go to the mall with. And as long as you stick with those and you stick with uh, the budget that you set out for yourself... You should be good. But of course, it's hard to remain uh, disciplined at this time of year.
0: Aaron, I love that you created that sliding scale, saying sometimes we can think big, sometimes we can think small. Do we have to change our expectations about what constitutes the kind of gift we should be giving or receiving around the holidays?
9: i think especially in these times you do have to change your expectations but more than changing your expectations as a community i think we just have to be honest with our family and friends about where we're at about you know what we're able to spend what is our uh constraints in terms of spending but not just that what are our time constraints will we even be able to go out and shop. Maybe you have a really tight work schedule and you don't have time to do Christmas shopping. So the best way to mitigate people's expectations that no one gets any hurt feelings is to just be upfront about it and talk to people about what
0: you can do and what you can't do this holiday season. Some families will institute a one gift policy or even just shopping for one person. What do you think about that idea?
9: I have to endorse this because this is something my wife's family does and especially because we're all having kids and it's a large family so we recently instituted we went from you know buying you know one gift secret santa style where one member of the family is responsible for another member of the family and they get no other gifts from the other members each person takes a person basically to now we all have kids So now the rule is we only buy gifts for the kids so it doesn't get out
0: of control. Yeah, Spoil the heck out of the kids. The rest of us know how to treat ourselves on our own dimes.
9: Exactly. And most of the time, people have already bought what they really want
0: for themselves before Christmas even comes around. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Aaron, how else can somebody avoid that credit card sticker shock hangover in January? There's
9: so many things you can do. You just want to, you know, exercise self-control. You want to make sure you know uh, how much you're spending. You don't want to take advantage of things that kind of trap you at the mall, like those buy now, pay later plans. You don't want to spend more just to get the free shipping. You don't want to spend more just to get the cash back or the reward points on your credit card and you want to try to resist the self-gifting Like I said before, there's so many ways that we just spend extra money and not realize it just to get, you know, the free shipping or get the discount that will really hurt us in the end if we carry a balance.
0: Yeah, one box of Lindor chocolates for you should not equate to one box of Lindor chocolates for me or even more dangerously, the uh, bottle of scotch, you know, because then we can all of a sudden have a Friday night that gets a little out of control a little too quickly. Uh, Aaron? Aaron? Beyond being an excellent journalist in the financial world, you're also a big comic book fan. We had two big movies come out in the last month from the comic book world, Black Adam and Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. You've seen them both. You're the first person I've spoken to who's seen them both. If somebody only has time for one of those this weekend, which do you recommend?
9: Well, Dave, as much as I smelled what The Rock was cooking in Black Adam, (laughs) I think if you're a true comic fan, you have to go to Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Uh, it's historic. It's a tribute to an excellent actor, Chadwick Boseman. And even though I think the sequel loses something and it's not as good as the original was with Chadwick Boseman in the role, I do think it's important for any comic book fan to see it and be part of the heaviness and be part of the tribute to
0: an excellent actor. You were there on opening weekend. What was the vibe in the theater?
9: It was packed, absolutely packed, and it was really quiet, like re- it was like a really somber tone, but I think by the
0: end people really enjoyed it and really thought they were part of a really, you know, great communal experience. I went to a movie last weekend as well. I went to go see The Banshees of Inishnir in the new Martin McDonough movie. And it's been out for a few weeks. And on a Saturday afternoon, the theater was absolutely jammed. I loved seeing people back out at the theater. It's great for the theater owners and the operators. And it was fun to see an independent movie get a little bit of love too. Hey, Aaron, thank you for this, man. Always great catching up with you. I don't think we're going to get a chance to chat with you again before the uh, holidays. So all the best to you and the family.
9: You too, Dave. Have a
0: great uh, Christmas and holiday season. Right on. That's Aaron Broverman, the lead editor at Forbes Advisor Canada. Let's wrap up the hour with one last news story. Britain is one step closer to launching its first satellite. Inez de la Couture fires up this report.
8: The first spaceport license in Britain going to Spaceport Cornwall in a move that will clear the way for the country to become the first European nation from where satellites can be launched into orbit. Britain's first launch is set to take place later this year as the country hopes to become Europe's leading space industry player. Britain has a large space industry employing 47,000 people who build more satellites than anywhere outside of the U.S. Adding launch capabilities would boost the economy by roughly $4.5 billion. Over the next decade. De and as ABC News at the foreign desk.
0: So we've already had a little bit of feedback come in for our daily poll question where I'm asking you: do you get competitive when you play games? Yes, no, or sometimes at accessible media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. And regular listener Ben cut out all the social media ways of getting a getting in touch with us and texted me directly and said, Oh boy, do we ever get competitive with me and my fiance playing games together to the point that we once had a fight in front of her family and they were a little bit alarmed by how passionate things got. It's funny because I've known regular listener Ben for over 20 years now and I've never thought of him as like Mr. Competitive, but maybe something about his fiance brings it out in him. So thank you, Ben, for chiming in, but I want to hear from you as well at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. And if social media is not your game, I understand many of you have unplugged from Twitter and some of y'all hopped off Facebook years ago or just don't bother logging anymore because nobody cool goes on Facebook. That's why I'm there. That's why I spend time there because I'm with my my losers. <laughs> you can always reach out to us by some more old school means. Feedback at ami.ca is the email address. Feedback at ami.ca is the email address. Sorry, I'm going to get so much uh, disdain and distaste for uh, hating on Facebook users. It's true. It's just my old relatives now. Feedback at AMI.ca or one 509 4545 is the phone number. one 509 4545 Coming up after the break, I have the regional news update, and we'll also get to the sports chat with Brock Richardson. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. I'm Dave Brown. It's Thursday, November the 18th, 2022. My last show before I go on vacation off to Montreal for a couple of days. Going to relive my youth. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Jenny Bovard recaps the Nova Scotia Open Goal Ball Tournament. And uh, with pass keys, Sean Priest will explain the difference. But let's begin the hour with the regional news update. David Eby will be sworn in tomorrow as the new premier of British Columbia, Eby reflects, to when he was first running for political office.
5: My goal was just to put, uh, in running against Christy Clark, was to put some uh, items on the agenda to debate her um, and uh, and raise issues and... uh, Never expected to win there uh, and certainly had no expectation of
3: being the premier someday.
0: Eby says one of his first priorities as premier will will be to support people in Vancouver's downtown east side.
3: And right now, uh, for the people who live in the tents uh, on the sidewalks and uh,
5: they're not safe. And for the broader community, uh, they don't have a feeling of safety about what's happening in the downtown east side. uh, And we need to address that.
0: As mentioned, David Eby will be sworn in as premier tomorrow. Let's head head over to the prairies, where Saskatoon City Council has voted to proceed with the purchase of land for a planned downtown arena. Council has approved the $25 million purchase of Midtown Shopping Centre North Parking Lot, the location which the city administration recommended. Mayor Charlie Clark says the decision is a pivotal moment for Saskatoon and an emerging downtown core. Over to I have to cough. Hold on one second. That was super charming. And I'm sure Alex Smythe loved that. Let's let's move over to Ontario, where Ontario is expanding strong mayor powers in Toronto and Ottawa. New legislation would let the mayors of Toronto and Ottawa propose bylaws on provincial priorities and enable council to pass them if more than one-third of members vote in favor. Provincial Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing Steve Clark explains how the government plans to expand those powers to more regions. So as the province considers how best to expand the strong mayor tools to more of Ontario's rapidly growing municipalities, we will appoint provincial facilitators to conduct assessment of the regional governments in Durham, Halton, Niagara, Peel, Waterloo and York. The province has promised to build 1.5 million homes in the next 10 years. Minister Clark says strong mayor powers could help with that. And let's head over to Atlantic Canada, where the Nova Scotia government has proclaimed a law that requires all short-term rentals be registered with the province by April 1st, 2023. Under updated regulations, all short-term rentals, like Airbnbs, for example, including those within people's homes, must register annually with the tourist accommodations registry. The information will help municipalities enforce land use bylaws. Tourism Minister Pat Dunn says the registry will keep the province. Ba- keep will will help the province. Oof, Dave, good at reading. Let's start from the top on that one. Tourism Minister Pat Dunn says the registry will help the province balance demand for tourism accommodations with the need for more housing. That's your look at the regional news update. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, Toronto Blue Jays fans are waving bye-bye to a fan favourite as Teoscar Hernandez has been traded.
10: Yes, he has. Um, Some would say that this is uh, not the greatest of trades, but I'm going to help try to, you know, calm a few nerves down that are in Toronto uh, situation. So they got back um, uh, Eric Swanson and Adam Mako from the Seattle Mariners. So let's look at Swanson. He was unbelievable last year in the bullpen. Now, remember that he was in a bullpen which was pretty solid. Some of the depth charts show that he was the sixth man out of the bullpen uh, when called upon last year, which is not always the highest of leverage situation. As for Mako, if we look at uh, some stats from the minor leagues, we're looking at 60 uh, strikeouts in 38 and a third innings in the minor leagues. This also frees up $12 million in cap space. I know that a lot of people love Teoscar Hernandez. He was the light of the dugout. He was part of, you know, good bonding and building in the clubhouse and was a real staple. The problem with this is that there was no, seemingly, no interest to return after next season so in which case then you would you would want to get more than just a bag of balls for Teoscar Hernandez is it enough what we got for Teoscar Hernandez in my opinion no I love Swanson as part of the deal I would have rathered a starter rather than bullpen if I was to split this in half the other thing I'll say is 12 million dollars is enough to hire you know some more help and I think this is the beginning of the plan for the Toronto Blue Jays. And we'll just see if this is how the offseason ends. I'm not happy with the the end result, but we are far, far too early to write the end of Ross Adkins story and what happens in the offseason.
0: Yeah, baseball free agency really hasn't even started yet. We have our opt outs. We have our opt outs of uh, of player options, but we don't really know what the free agent uh, dominoes are going to be just yet. It, you're right, Brock. It, the, the, the return seems a little underwhelming. The $12 million matters, even though baseball is not a salary-capped sport. We know Rogers puts their own salary cap on the Blue Jays. And to their credit, they have spent some money on big-name free agent pitchers that has gone poorly the last couple of years, uh, Ryu and Kaguchi most uh, specifically. It addresses a clear need. Here would be my concern, Brock. It's two years in a row now that the Jays have traded away some beefy power in the middle of the lineup. Rowdy telez last year to Walk Milwaukee and Tellez had a great season for the Brewers and now now a now Teoscar Hernandez being traded too. I understand these are not necessarily the fundamental pieces of the future of the Toronto Blue Jays, but you are giving up some of that beefy big bat power that you want in the middle of your lineup. Yeah, this,
10: and to me, the answer with the $12 million that they have, if you're going to, you know, obviously Vladdy and Bo are going to chew up you know, the, the vast majority, oh, of that yeah, they're coming our...
0: they're coming for that money, Brock. They want they want them Queen Elizabeth's,
10: but, but having said that, you need to get a left-handed bat in this lineup. If there is no left-handed bat, I will be coming on this program at the beginning of the season going we've we've mm-hmm. failed the off season. The Toronto Blue Jays need, need, need a left-handed bat. And the other thing is that it was, Brought up in in media yesterday that I want to that I want to bring up here is that the the regime that is Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro have never really been liked here in Toronto because of you know Paul Beeston and the great Alex Anthopoulos who brought them to their first playoffs in a long long time. Ross and and Mark cannot do anything right. Like people seem to have it out for them. And again, we don't grade a paper, a test until the very end. So I caution people to do the very same thing. And there is some optimism in Toronto Blue Jays land, but there was a lot of, "Well, this is terrible. We didn't get enough back. I agree on its face but we need to wait and see what happens moving forward Man, on pe- this.
0: People are whiny. People are too whiny about their teams, and I'm guilty of that, too. You, you know, you watch this thing for 164 Shh. games a year, you're, you're, you're due for a little bit of whining here and there. Brock, let's stay in the world of baseball. We had a bunch of awards handed out here in the last couple of days. Both of the Cy Youngs, not necessarily surprises in the NL or the AL. We had Sandy Alcantara of the Miami Marlins win in the NL. We had Justin Verlander join Elite Company with his third Cy Young for the Houston Astros this year, but you were struck by the managers of the year, Terry Francona of the Cleveland Guardians and Buck showalter. old Buck, the old guy still got it in the New York Mets. Your reaction to these awards that came down the pipeline yesterday.
10: Uh, the first reaction that I have is the uh, Miami Marlins pitcher uh, had six complete games. count them six.
0: so that, he's that's well like deserved. unheard of in modern baseball that's that's that's
10: a so deserving uh, of a of a uh... Cy Young Award, and Justin Verlander did Justin Verlander things. It was a foregone conclusion that he was getting in, in my opinion. But when you have six shutouts, that pretty much solidifies it. First of all, and then going on to Terry Francona and uh, Buck Showalter, I am totally okay with uh, Terry Francona. I think what he did with the Guardians this year was pretty good. He got the team to the playoffs. The the one that I would—I love Buck Showalter, and I remember when uh, the Toronto Blue Jays beat— uh, Buck Showalter and the Ori- Orioles in that thrilling uh, wild card game in 2015-16. Uh, um, I remember the look on Buck Showalter's face that is still imprinted in my head when when Encarnacion, another beloved Blue Jay, uh, hit that home run which rattled the world. But but I would I would raise your Buck Showalter to a Rob Thompson. And I know some of you out there are looking at me going. Yeah, but you're saying that because Rob Thompson is Canadian. Well, listen, when Rob Thompson took over for the Philadelphia Phillies, they were awful, Mm -hmm. absolutely awful. And he took them, you know, out of the trenches and ultimately into a World Series appearance. To me, he deserves a better look at this, in my opinion, and a little bit of a Canadian spin there. But no, I think he earned what he should have got, and that would have been my choice for
0: uh, manager of the year. I'm not going to fight you at all, Brock. I think, I think the way he turned that team around and took a lot of those talented players and maximized them for the Philadelphia Phillies. He certainly deserved the nod that said Buck Walter, one hundred games, with the New York Mets. And anytime you win more than a hundred games with a roster that didn't go to the playoffs the year before, you're going to get a little bit of that love. And again, Buck Walter, he's that old guy still got it. You know, you got to give the old guys their flowers before they uh, go away. Brock, The one thing we haven't talked about this week, and it's our last opportunity to do so before I'm off on vacation, is Canada at the World Cup. The World Cup starts on Sunday. I'm super pumped. I'm sure you're super pumped too. Canada announced their roster last Sunday with not too, too much fanfare. I think there weren't any gargantuan surprises on that roster, but now you found some interesting betting lines and y'all know, I love talking about me, some sports betting. What was the sports betting line that jumped out to you as we prepare for Canada heading to the world cup?
10: The sports betting line that caught my eye was uh, one of the uh, betting lines, which I'm not sure I'm able to name here, but I will say it was one of the reputable ones. And it they had Canada scoring two and a half goals in uh, the World Cup. Now, some of you that say, well, where does the half come from? Well, the half is so that you can bet either over or mm-hmm. under on it. Mm-hmm. And for <sighs> for me, I think, I think this is a bit low, Dave. I think this is, you know, a little unfair. I understand they're in a pool that's tough. I, I'm going on the over on this and just slightly – I'm going on the over and picking three goals for for Canada at this World Cup. And I'm not sure what that gets them. I'm not sure what that does. But to me, I think the two and a half mark is a bit
0: on the low side. Three games for Canada to score over two and a half goals. We know that Belgium is going to be real tough. Their goalkeeper, Comptois, is one of the best in the world, one of the absolute best in the world, and the Belgian team plays a very possession-heavy style. So that's a tough, tough test for Canada. As you point out, Brock, the group is tough as well. Twenty of the top team of twenty of the top teams in the world, or of the power ranked teams in the world, of the thirty two involved at the World Cup, are going to be in Canada's group. So it's a tough, tough group. So even a team like Morocco that plays with a very strong defensive tactic, or a team like Croatia that plays with a lot of ball control, means that the opportunities for Canada to score are going to be difficult. I would not be surprised if Canada plays a very defensive shell style game, especially early in the tournament, and that. It's not uncommon for John Herdman to do their, their head coach. So two and a, scoring three goals is going to be tough. I, I suspect Belgium's going to shut them out, and I'm not even sure they can mount an offense up against Croatia. So now you're looking at potentially scoring three goals against Morocco. That's going to be really, really tough for Canada to do. That said, I was taking a look at the roster, Brock. Now, I am not Mr. Soccer. I'm I'm a casual soccer fan at best. I did note some things though. 1, it looks like Alfonso Davies should be fine to play in his striker role. That's super positive. He's the best Canadian soccer player. We need him to perform. Jonathan David is having an amazing year in Lille in the uh, in Ligue 1 in France. He's playing really, really well, and he's going to be a huge offensive support player for Davies. That's another huge component to this game. Our our front attacking is going to be a lot of top-end European players or players who play in the European leagues. That's huge, huge, huge. But the one thing I noted, Brock, is that there's a lot of players out of the MLS on this Canadian roster, mostly coming out of Montreal and Toronto. The Montreal FC club just had a really strong year in the MLS. Toronto, not so much. But the one thing that Spain and Germany used to do, and please, please, please don't think I'm comparing the MLS to the Spanish league or the German league or that I'm comparing CF Montreal and uh, Toronto FC to to Bayern Munich and uh, Mm -hmm. Barcelona. But the one thing that Spain and Germany used to do is they used to construct their backfields and their midfields with players largely from the same teams or same leagues. So a lot of that fluidity was built in, and that's the one thing I'm looking at with this Canadian roster, a lot of familiarity at each level of the team. So that's where they may be a little bit surprising for teams to deal with this World Cup. There could be more cohesion than you'll typically see from a lot of these star-studded teams, like England, for example. Sorry, that was a really long answer to your question. I apologize, Brock
10: that's okay no and the thing for me that i again i'm going into this world cup as someone who is also a casual fan i i watched the euro cup for the first time a couple of years ago when it was on but i caution people too that this is a building block for canada as a whole as a as a country they have not been at a world cup in a long long time and i hate to spin this whole you know participation medal angle but the fact is is that if we can be competitive in games and possibly sneak out a win, and I, and I emphasize possibly, um, then I think we're in success. I think this team has the capability to be in contention in every single game. Do I think the results are going to be what they are? No, but you're probably looking at that one game against Morocco as the game where they might be able to score some goals, which even if they win isn't going to be enough to move them on. But I think... As a country of Canada, we all need to look at this and go, this is, this is historic. They haven't been here in a while. And I think you're going to see the entire country get on their backs, much like you see when the Raptors go on a run, when the Jays go on a run. This is
0: a national pride deal, and I think that's exactly what you're going to see. Brock, I'm sure you'll do some more detailed previewing on some of these games with Alex Smythe when he's in the chair next week. But I do want to offer one more thought here on our first game against Belgium, who, again, according to FIFA, are a top five team in the entire world. They're, they're a potential favorite to win the whole thing. The one caveat I want to put here, and I want to say I don't think Canada's going to beat Belgium in that game. Belgium is a little bit susceptible. Two of their star players, Eden Hazard and Romelo Lukaku, who are both tremendous, tremendous players and part of the golden generation of Belgium are unfit or dealing with injuries. They haven't been starting for their club teams. They haven't been playing very much. Those are two of those talent pieces where Belgium could overwhelm Canada, but it appears those guys may not even be able to play in those games. That said... Kevin De Bruyne, their midfielder, is the best player in the world, having a great season for Manchester City right now. So Canada will be out-talented by Belgium, but it's possible that two of the critical cogs in the Belgian wheel and the Flemish wheel, if you will, are not going to be there. So that's one thing to bear in mind as we head into that first game. Again, not saying Canada's going to win, not even saying they could pull out a draw, but there is just a little bit of juice to squeeze for a possible upset there. Hey, listen, when you play a one-game
10: situation uh, against teams and you are the heavy, heavy underdog as they are in, in at least two of these games and a little bit of an underdog on the third one, maybe not as heavy, but a little bit. I, listen, there's always a chance, and most of the time with soccer, you get a chance, and if you take advantage of it, that's going to be your big thing. It's just taking advantage of those of those chances that you're going to get, and they are going to be my – like. Um, minor in the chances that you're going to get because you're not going to get that many. But when you get them, you got to take advantage of them and not kicking the ball over the net by five, six feet (laughs) isn't going to accomplish that is what you see in soccer. You know, you have to take advantage of that. And that's exactly the position that Canada is going to be. And when you are the underdog, you play with less pressure. I've been underdogs in my career lots of times, and you play with less pressure, and when you do that, you can pull out upsets here and there.
0: Brock, we got to get out of here, but enjoy the next couple of weeks of sports. I look forward to coming back a little bit later this month and I can overreact to the first round of games and tell you who stinks and who's good. Love it. Cannot <laughs> wait. <laughs> That's Brock Richardson. He is at the AMI Sports Desk. Alex Smythe is sharing a desk with me, so this doubles as the AMI Weather
3: Desk. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, there's freezing rain, then rain off and on today with up to 5mm expected and 80 kilometer winds. Uh, and the high is 5. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's cloudy with a chance of rain turning to the possible snow in the afternoon with wind gusts up to 70 kilometers per hour and a high of 5 as well. In St. John, New Brunswick, There's showers this morning, then cloudy and a high of two. In Quebec City, Quebec, snow flurries with up to four centimeters expected and a high of zero. Here in Toronto, Ontario, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow and two is the high. Over to Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's a mix of sun and clouds with possible snow and a high of minus two. In Brandon, Manitoba, there's blowing snow today with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. And a high of negative seven in regina saskatchewan periods of light and blowing snow this morning and then it will be clearing in the afternoon and wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour with the high of negative 11. in lethbridge alberta it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow this morning then clearing up in the afternoon wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and negative 11 as the high red deer alberta it's sunny with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of minus 12, but a wind chill that makes it feel like minus 29. So very cold morning over in Red Deer, Oof. Alberta. And Whitehorse, Yukon, it's cloudy, but becoming a mix of sun and clouds later and a high of minus 10. Kelowna, BC, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow in the morning and a high of minus two. And then finally in Vancouver, BC, it's sunny with a high of nine. That's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada.
0: It's always just a wrap up with Vancouver, keeping it simple. Cloudy <laughs> and a high of nine exactly. as opposed to wind chills and blowing snows and all those other things. Thank you, Alex. Hey, just last week we were talking to Ardra Shepard, the host of Fashion Dis, and I told you that Ardra also hosts an awesome podcast called Tripping on Air. Well, the Tripping on Air gang is getting into the holiday spirit with a special giveaway. Visit ami.ca slash a contest to review a list of prizes they're giving away as part of the 2022 MS Holiday Gift Guide, and be sure to enter for your chance to win. The contest closes December the 1st at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time, so hurry up! Winners will be contacted via email and listed on the Tripping On Air Instagram page. Coming up next, there's a new tech trend emerging that companies are replacing passwords with pass Passkeys. Sean Priest will explain the difference. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's talk about a couple of tech trends. No, I'm not going to play a sounder from ABC News. We're going to bring in Sean Price of Double Tap to talk about a couple emerging trends in big tech. And of course, as mentioned, Sean is one of the hosts of Double Tap, which you can find weekdays at noon Eastern time on AMI-audio. Hey, Sean, how are you, sir? I'm very well, Dave. How are you? I am doing well myself. Sean, Google has gotten in to the virtual private network game through Google One. Now, a virtual private network allows folks to surf the web a little more anonymously by switching up their IP addresses and offering a little bit of extra, let's call it, geolocation protection. John, what do you, Sean? What do you think Google is going to do to make their VPN stand out
4: from the rest? Oh now that's an intro. I wasn't expecting that. You threw me under the bus with that one, day My po- little monkey. Well, no, so let me let, let me fur- let me
0: further elaborate because I threw I did throw you under the bus. My apologies on this. No, no, one.
4: I like it. Well, I just I, I wasn't
0: going to ask you what's a VPN. I know what a VPN is. I can easily describe what a VPN is. So and let's- you just did. Well, I, I, I thought I did pretty well for for a tech well I, like myself. But but Sean, I think about this because there are a litany of VPNs out there, but they tend to be smaller companies or companies that I've never heard of. Whereas when you put Google in front of it, it makes me think, hmm, maybe that's a company that I am willing to trust with my
4: VPN needs. Absolutely right. And that is a really good question. What does it bring that's new? You know, a big name like Google. Apple, of course, added their VPN. Uh, They didn't call it a VPN. It's Apple. They had to come up with something else, Relay Relay One or whatever (laughs) they called it. But it's fine. Uh, So, yes, the Google VPN. What well, interestingly, and the reason I like to talk about VPNs is because we've been told for so long that, you know, it's all about security. They're a good thing. They, they, they prevent, basically encrypts all the data that's coming from your computer or your device to the outside world. It's encrypted. No one in the middle. Uh, it stops those man-in-the-middle attacks. So no one can modify the data that's coming through. Any data that they get in between the two, you know, two endpoints is encrypted, so they can't do anything with it. So fantastic. That's what it used to be. Uh, That's how it's always been said. A VPN is for security, and and they're absolutely right. Um, But I'm going to get back to that in just a second. When it comes to Google, they're offering exactly the same, but they are offering their incredible server and hardware muscle. Mm. Now, a thing with a VPN is that the data is encrypted at both ends and uh, basically you are co- connected to one computer which then you you get all your internet needs from and it's funneled back to you but because of that there is some lag it's a lot slower when you're you know browsing or mm. doing trying mm. to stream video anything like that because it's being decrypted and it's coming through a third party computer so it's slower with with google apparently you know because of their network expertise um it's incredibly fast it's It's like you don't really notice the the layer that you're going through. so it's just like your normal browsing, which is a big deal. Uh, you know depending on what you're doing. if like I say, you know we, we use so much high bandwidth browsing now with video and high quality Oh, yeah, it oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely an important thing. So that's something that Google can offer. but interesting, one thing that they are lacking and one of the most I think used benefits of a VPN other than security and encryption is that, with a VPN, you can say, okay, tell the outside internet that I'm actually not, in my case, in the UK or in your case in Canada, but I'm in Spain or I'm in France or I'm in China, wherever else I want to be. Uh, and, and then from the outside world, it looks like you're browsing from that location. Um, to be honest, most people use that to get around geofencing for things like mm-hmm. Netflix or mm-hmm. Disney+, Plus, meaning you can see <laughs> films yeah, that come out sooner in other parts of the world. Um, But Google are not offering that. They've left that out of their VPN service. I feel that was quite interesting. But um, yes, I think the main thing to take away is what what did Google offer to this VPN world is, quite frankly, their massive amount of hardware and network network expertise. Browsing on a VPN from Google... It's going to be great.
0: I, I find that so interesting, Sean, that that's the differentiation point they want to create because I think that's one of the, the differentiation points that a lot of people like their VPN for. But if you're Google, you sort of see yourself as this upstanding digital citizen and you don't want to give people <laughs> the opportunity to do that. That's because, debatable. Because, well, <laughs> yeah, I bet it is. I bet it is. But in their yes. minds, they see themselves as one of like these leaders of who wants to back yes. up the Netflixes and the Amazons and the DAZN's. And say no, no, no. We're not going to let people cheat on our VPN, but we're still going to offer people the encryption at a good speed.
4: Absolutely. And another, actually, a, a really good point is that they are um, they are audited, so they they give their co- their code is or their API. So the way that their VPN works and how they encrypt it is open source, so anyone can check it, make sure they're not doing anything nefarious, they're not spying on anything, not logging your data as you're browsing on their own servers and uh, and their their VPN service as a whole is audited and they, they give the results of that audit. So, you know, developers and security experts can actually check what's going on and, and ch- uh, audit their VPN and let us know actually, okay, they are actually doing what they're saying they're doing. There's <laughs> nothing strange going on yeah. in the background, which actually you mentioned earlier about smaller VPNs and, and companies you've never heard of. I mean, you do need to put some trust in them because you are sending all your data through them. Yeah. So this, that is a, a good plus point for Google. How deep am I
0: going in the dark web uh, when I when I use this VPN? It, it's, it's a worthwhile <laughs> yes. question. It's a worth it's a question worth asking. I wouldn't even know how to get Absolutely. into the dark web. So I, I don't run in those circles.
4: Uh, Sean? But, see, that, go ahead. Sorry. sorry. No, please, I, please. I just want to quickly say that, that, that everyone keeps saying about security, VPN, VPN. I'm not even convinced you need a VPN now. For corporate, for business, for enterprise, yes, it makes absolute sense. But you may notice a a, a good time ago, the internet did change. There's so many websites out there now which are secure, HTTPS, meaning they are secure. You'll see a little padlock on the browser address bar, meaning that all the data is encrypted from that website to your device as well. So the need for a VPN, I'm, I'm not quite so sure. Even though all the companies will still push security, security, if you're in a... You know, a Costa Coffee or a Starbucks or whatever it is, using public Wi-Fi. Make sure you use a VPN, which does have its points. But the internet has changed, so don't mm. feel like you need to rush out and you're, you're you're vulnerable if you don't use one. That's not necessarily true.
0: What's Costa Coffee?
4: Oh sorry, is that not a globe? That must be just here. It's uh it's a Starbucks. I don't know. I don't drink coffee or tea. I'm not a proper adult. Sorry.
0: <laughs> just apple just apple juice for Sean. Just apple juice. Uh, yes. Apple juice and cider for Sean. Uh Sean, <laughs> I, let's talk about another trend emerging in big tech. And this one might sound a little bit semantical. So this one I will let you define for me. Big tech big tech companies are encouraging people to move towards past keys instead of passwords to me sean that word sounds synonymous what's the difference
4: oh well passwords are absolutely terrible aren't they let's all admit we all use the same password for everything um when we're trying to use password managers that's what everyone's trying to use now that generate like a 50 character password full of all these (laughs) weird symbols and but you've got no chance for remembering it and the difficulty is you know if I create one of those random passwords on my desktop here when I go to the Apple TV and try and log into Netflix I, I the password manager isn't on that oh, platform, oh, so I it. can't do it so i got it's it's an absolute nightmare passwords are are just a bad idea when it comes to security and we've known that for the longest time, and pass keys is apparently going to be the future. And it does seems like it it, it solves a lot of these problems. And more importantly, you mentioned big tech there. Uh, The the big three tech players are uh, behind it and supporting it, Microsoft, Google, and Apple. And once you get those three main platforms in tech involved and saying, yes, we're going to support it, you know, there is actually, it looks like this will take over.
0: So, how would you describe a passkey? What what's included in the types of passkeys somebody might
4: uh, utilize? Okay, so a, a passkey basically, instead of us thinking of a password, the, the, the devices create it themselves. It's a encrypted. It's a crypto key. Oh, so you go okay. to a, uh, you go to a website and you type in your username, and instead of typing in a password, it will say use a passkey. And when you click on that button on your phone, uh, you'll get a pop up and it will create its own passkey. As I said, it's basically just a massive password, you know, 100 character or 300 character password. And on the website, it will create a paired key to that. It's called a public key. And on your phone will be the private key. And uh, basically you use the biometric data. So the face ID or the fingerprint on your phone Mm -hmm. to verify Mm -hmm. who you are. Also, it uses Bluetooth to make sure that you're actually in front of your computer. So it uses Bluetooth to make sure, is the phone nearby? So you're not somewhere miles away and, and it's a hacker trying to impersonate you. You need to actually be near the device that's running the website. Mm-hmm. So using those two things, it's, it's able to, basically you, you're not having to worry about what the password is because the device, the website has one password and your device has the other. And when the two meet, because once you unlock your phone with the, the, the face ID or your fingerprint, then it's sure that it's you and you're in front of your computer <laughs> through the Bluetooth proximity. So those two main things, it's, it's almost like the two-factor authentic, uh, authentication mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. It's got, the website has your telephone number and it sends a code to your phone. You get the code on your phone and then you enter the, pho- uh, the code back into the website. It's the same sort of thing, but it makes it far more secure because there's no codes being sent over unsecure, maybe telephone networks or whatever. Yeah. It's all the Bluetooth next to you and the biometric face ID and fingerprint. Because basically what we're carrying around with us now in our pockets are fingerprint sensors and face recognition yeah, systems. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Why not use them to log into things? So yeah, it's a really interesting one, and I can't wait until it actually comes through. iOS 16 has it already. You can go in there. Uh, uh, Google, Android has it as a uh, in beta at the moment, I believe. Oh, they fo-
0: have foisted it upon me, though, in one of my apps, in my, in my Ontario online uh, sports wagering app. They foisted it upon me. I, I log in with a thumbprint. Now. Foisted it. What? Thought, isn't that good? Isn't that better? I mean, I suppose. It makes it easier. It makes it easier to get my wagers in on football games faster. So that, that counts for something. <laughs>
4: Yes, but when someone tries to break in and steal all your... Obviously, you always win, right? And oh. they try to take all your winnings, then you'll be happy that they can't because they haven't got your thumb. Yeah, the it's way, a fantastic idea.
0: The way the last couple of weeks have gone, maybe somebody else should be making my bets for me. Uh, Sean, <laughs> we got to get out of here. Have a great day, buddy. You too. Thank you so much. See you later. That is Sean Priest, one of the hosts of Double Tap, which you can find weekdays noon Eastern time on AMI-audio. You can find The Pulse... Thursdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. Judah Gupta will speak with David Lepofsky about the Canada disability benefits and what it what needs to be improved in Bill C-22. That's The Pulse Thursdays, one thirty p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio and available on demand on your favourite podcasting platform, including YouTube. Coming up next, Jenny Bovard will recap the Nova Scotia Open Gold Ball Tournament. This is Now with Dave Brown on ami Welcome back it's now with dave brown on ami athletes from all across the country gathered for the sixth nova scotia open goalball tournament in halifax a few weeks ago we talked about some of the results with ryan delahanty last monday but jenny bovard was on the ground and part of the organizing committee so jenny has a whole bunch to say about the exciting weekend of action and what's happening in goalball more broadly hey good morning jenny
8: Hey, good morning, Dave.
0: Jenny, I ran a little long there chatting with Sean Priest, so I don't want to dwell too, too much on the weekend itself, but how'd it go? how how it feel to get the band back together after a couple of years?
8: It was amazing. This was the first time that Blind Sports Nova Scotia has been able to host a tournament since the pandemic. And this is the only international goalball competition of its kind in Atlantic Canada. So we were just super excited, the organizing committee and I, to bring athletes together to compete from Nova Scotia, across Canada, and even a couple from the United States.
0: What were the athletes having to say about their time in Halifax about the weekend?
8: The vibe was just of energy. I mean, again, since the pandemic, there haven't been a ton of competitive opportunities in goalball, especially here in North America. So we hosted a really nice mix of athletes, some still fairly new to the competitive environment, but showing really great promise even as teenagers. We're, we start them early. Oof. And uh, by comparison, um, several who competed at our tournament a few weekends ago they have represented canada in international competition at the paralympics and will go on to do that again very soon and some of those more seasoned athletes maybe more serious of a mindset but we're all just so happy to get like you said get the band back together get the community back together
0: you mentioned that there's there's some worlds coming up how does an event like this serve as a tune-up for these elite players
8: well, athletes named to Team Canada for the upcoming goalball World Championships got to compete at that weekend alongside and against one another. So there was a mix of teams from from different provinces and so some athletes who will play together in upcoming upcoming competitions, they competed against each other, which is a cool little dynamic. But Canadian athletes in particular, they don't get to practice or compete together as much as you would think, even leading up to one of these big competitions so in fact this is one of the reasons why we continue to host the Nova Scotia Open goalball tournament to kind of kick off that competitive season and get ready
0: Jenny over the course of the last couple of years there have been some concerns around funding in goalball especially around the men's program there's been some developments what are the what's the latest on that
8: Okay, I'm going to try really hard to remain diplomatic and and impartial. But in 2021, a strategic plan was put in place by the organization responsible for Canadian blind sports. And that plan would not see the men's team compete at all in international goalball. The focus was to be exclusively on developing the women's team and having them compete and reach the podium. But after a lot of several months of really hard work, a really robust advocacy campaign and support from the right people, the right organizations. They worked so hard, and there have been some staffing changes at that organization, at Canadian Blind Sports Association. And now the Canadian men's goalball team are back in action. They're developing. They're getting ready to compete internationally. I'm so excited and proud of them. Um, They were recently in Germany. And up next, like we said, is is, uh, uh, World Goalball Championships in Portugal. That's coming up next month in December. Before we go on, I've got to give a special congratulations to our Nova Scotia guys representing Canada. We have two Nova Scotians named to the Canadian team for that competition. I don't think that's happened since the 70s. That's what Coach Linda says. So congratulations to Mason Smith and Peter Parsons. That whole roster, super strong men's uh, goalball players. So I just, I can't wait to see them compete again.
0: Mm, Right on. Jenny, we could get you a job at the UN with that kind of diplomacy. That was well done by you. I'm very, very impressed. Jenny, you've not just been someone who's on these organizing committees and putting together tournaments. You've been involved in the sport forever as a player as well how would you like to see the sport of goalball grow and develop over the next few years
8: There's a bit of a wish list here, but one big thing I'd like to see is more funding, more funding at all levels so we can have more competitive and more recreational goalball opportunities for everyone. And in regions, in rural areas, maybe we don't have enough blind or visually impaired players. Let's bring some sighted players in so everyone can have a time. I also think that there's a a place, a home for goalball in physical education in our schools. Systems, whether or not there's a blind or visually impaired student. I think there's a home there, but that's a whole conversation. And lastly, on my wish list, I want to see more mainstream coverage of goalball and Paris sport in general. We put out a press release for our tournaments. We get little local news stories. That's great to have that coverage. But I want to be able to tune in to that tournament in Portugal the same way that I'm going to tune into Rugby Sevens when in season. Mm. I just think goalball is so extraordinary as a spectator and it's intense, and people would really get into it given that opportunity.
0: Jenny, last question here, and this goes to one of your other passions. There was This was a big competition, people coming in from all over the country. Does hosting an event like this give a nice spotlight on the Halifax area for people who may not typically make their way out east?
8: I mean, it, it sure does. Anyone that comes here loves it, and, and they keep coming back, right? They They rave about the hospitality and the food. But these tournaments, especially when we host them in Nova Scotia, they're fun, But they're really a buzz with the gratitude as well, because it really takes a lot of volunteers and officials and a lot of them coming from far away to make these tournaments happen. And we can't forget the gratitude for our sponsors, including AMI, who's been a gold sponsor consistently since the beginning. Um, You know, without a lot of really great local support as well, we wouldn't be able to make these tournaments, these opportunities happen. So we'd like to give them, you know, give back to those sponsors by giving them shout outs wherever we can on our social media, on that live stream that we do of the tournament and, yeah, it. I think it puts a spotlight on our hospitality. People whip up baked goods as well to <laughs> feed these athletes. And they're like really, really good. So it's it dozens, we're talking dozens and dozens of batches of cookies and muffins to feed these people. So it is, it's a really a labor of love.
0: Jenny, congratulations to you and the organizing committee for putting together an event that, from all accounts, went super, super well. So thank you for taking some time to recap it for us today and give us some updates on the world of goalball. And uh, you'll be on the show next week. I won't be here. I'll be on vacation. But you enjoy talking to Alex Smythe and Megan Gilmore next Wednesday.
8: Okay. Enjoy your vacation.
0: Oh, you know I will. That's Jenny Bovard, host of the Low Vision Moments podcast and part of the organizing committee for the Nova Scotia Open Goal Ball Tournament. Ramya Emuthin is the co-host of Kelly & Company, which comes your way at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. And Ramya is here for a very quick preview of the show. Ramya, we've only got about 30 to 40 seconds here. I'm sorry that we're kind of rushing you through, but what's coming up on the show today?
8: All good. We're talking to Fern Lullum. She's highlighting a report, reviewing a survey of online access information provided by UK museums and cultural heritage sites. And we're talking to Christian Shaw because he's the uh, founder of Kamloops Self-Advocate Newsletter. We're going to learn more about this newsletter for people with disabilities, Dave.
0: Right on. Rumya. have a great day, a great show, and we'll talk to you when I'm back from vacation. Have fun! Oh, like I said to Jenny, you know I will. That's Rumia I'm within the co-host of Kelly and Company coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI Audio. Coming up next, Sylvia Ficot will tell you about the recipients of this year's Accessible City Awards in Vancouver. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. <laughs> Welcome back. It's Now with Dave Brown. Let's head out west to catch up with AMI Content Development Specialist Sylvie Fiquette in Vancouver. Hey, good morning,
2: Sylvie. Good morning, Dave.
0: Sylvie, I should warn you, we're a little tight for time today, so I apologize if I race you a little bit. But Vancouver has recently announced the recipients of the 2022 Accessible City Awards. So what are the elements that the city takes into consideration when selecting the winners?
2: Yeah, Dave, these uh, annual awards recognize individuals and organizations who improve access and inclusion for persons with disabilities by either working to remove barriers or create opportunities. For example, providing equitable access to buildings, infrastructure and public spaces, connecting people with disabilities to opportunities, services and information, and by inspiring a culture of inclusion in the city.
0: So who were some of the big winners, Sylvie?
2: Yes, so some of the big winners um, in the individual category, Spencer Van Lawton. He's an incredibly committed disability advocate, community champion, and a writer. He has um, made an incredible impact within the disability community and beyond in Vancouver. As the creator of the website bcdisability.com, he has 16,000 subscribers. Spencer has created one of the most comprehensive lists of resources for persons with disabilities in the city, he's done an amazing job, so very well deserved. The organization category has been presented this year to Dragon Boat BC. Oh, yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, they're amazing. So, sport and cultural institution in Vancouver, and an internationally renowned innovator and promoter of paddling since 1989. They have an all access program which reduces financial and other barriers for youth, um, just have an incredible amount of opportunities available for numerous indiv- individuals with diverse physical, social, and mental health differences and abilities. So they've, they're they also just like an incredible organization that needed to be recognized.
0: Sylvie, where should people go if they want to learn more about the awards, but even more specifically about the winners?
2: Yeah, so if people are interested in reading a little bit up on the Resistence, recipients. They can visit the city of Vancouver. There's the people in programs accessible city page with a listing of recipients um, for these awards since 2010.
0: Nice, nice. Well, Sylvie, it's not just hardware being handed out. There's also some fun coming down the pipeline here. Project Everybody is hosting their festival PEB celebrations live at the Roundhouse next month. It's called The Largest Accessible Festival in Metro Vancouver. What can you tell me about it?
2: Yeah, so we've kind of named this Peb because... (laughs) The project everybody um, was just getting to be too much. So PEB Celebrates Live is the premier annual event in Vancouver to recognize and celebrate the UN-designated International Day of Persons with Disabilities. It's presented by a collaboration of community and non-profit organizations who embrace diversity and inclusion. It's a real celebration that showcases the talents of people of all abilities, and the community is invited to gather together for this free family-friendly event taking place on Friday, December 2nd at the Roundhouse Community Arts and Recreation Centre in Yaletown, Vancouver.
0: So what's on deck? What can people expect if they show up?
2: Yeah, the festival is great, Dave. I've gone um, for a number of years. It Kicks off during the day between 11 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. with an art show and sale. There's an impressive 50-plus artisan huts and vendors showcasing handcrafted mixed-media art by talented artists of all abilities. It's just great timing to pick up very affordable gifts for the holidays. And then uh, starting at 6 p.m., the evening program features performing art artists including stand-up comedy, live music, dance and a short film.
0: Where should people go if they want to register for this event and maybe express some of their accessibility needs before they before they attend?
2: Yeah, this is a highly accessible event. The venue is wheelchair accessible. There will be ASL interpreters and CART services available for the evening performances, including Vocal eye live description for audience members who are blind or partially sighted. So if people are interested to register, actually you have to register, even though it's a free event, you must register mm-hmm. for each mm-hmm. event so, please visit projecteverybody.ca forward slash events. And there's information there about everything that's going to be available at this festival. It's a great, fun event.
0: You said in Yale Town, right, Sylvie?
2: Yes, it's oh, in Yale Town. Always a good yeah, excuse it,
0: to go to Yale Town. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. (laughs) There will be food at this event, too. Um, You know, organizers want you to register so they know how many people to expect. And uh, Yale Town is great, Dave. It's so much fun.
0: And if you do have a couple dollars in your pocket and you're still hungry, head over to the Tasty Indian Bistro, because that is my favorite Indian restaurant in all of Vancouver. It's (laughs) awesome.
2: Absolutely. A little free
0: plug here on the air for the Tasty Indian Bistro. Uh, Sylvie, thank you for this. I'm sorry that I rushed you a little bit, but I think we got it all in.
2: Nope. No problem. I think we did it, Dave. Sylvie,
0: it's two years in a row that you're the last person I talk to before I go on vacation, so thank you. You always send me off with the right vibes.
2: Oh, have a fantastic vacation, Dave. Enjoy. Thank you, you Sylvie.
0: Thank you, Sylvie. That's Sylvie Fiquettes, content development specialist for AMI, based in Pacific, Canada. That's all the time we have for today. Coming up tomorrow, Alex Smythe. We'll be in this big chair. He'll try to wrangle the news panel. We'll see how that goes. I'm Dave Brown. Until we hang out again later this month, I'm reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun.